1: are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees.
1: Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Join Hoda Katfi for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes twelve books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zippybooks.com, and we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zippymag.com. We have classes at zippyclasses.com, and I recently opened a books store in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Jill Santapolo is the author of Stars in an Italian Sky, Jill is the internationally bestselling author also of Everything After, More Than Words, and The Light We Lost, which was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick and has been optioned for film. Her books have been translated into more than 35 languages and have been named to the New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, Apple, and IndieBound bestseller lists. She is also the author of the Alec Flint Mysteries, the Sparkle Spa series, and the Follow Your Heart books. Jill holds a BA in English literature from Columbia University, an MFA in writing for children from the Vermont College of Fine Arts, and a certificate in intellectual property law from NYU. I guess I'll call her next time. I need an intellectual property lawyer. She is the publisher of Philomel, an imprint of Penguin Young Readers Group, where she edits many critically acclaimed, award-winning, and best-selling books, including She Persisted by Chelsea Clinton and Alexander Borger. Girling Up by Mayim Bialik, Calling All Minds by Temple Grandin, Just Ask, Be Different, Be Brave, Be You by Justice Sonia Sotomayor and Rafael Lopez, and Superheroes Are Everywhere by Vice President Kamala Harris and Mikel Rowe. Jill has worked as a thesis advisor at The New School. In their MFA program in Writing for Children and Young Adults, and was on the faculty of the Columbia Publishing Course. She was also an adjunct professor at McDaniel College, where she helped develop the curriculum for their certificate program in Writing for Children. Jill has traveled all over the US and to Canada and Europe to speak about writing and storytelling. She lives in Washington, D.C. and New York with her husband and daughter. And this was from her launch event that we did together, and I was honored that she asked me to moderate the event. So we were in front of a live audience. Enjoy. Hi, Chill. How are you? Good. Hey, see <laughs> you. I have to say, I was just sitting there like looking at the book and the beautiful wine, and I was like, oh my gosh, of course, it's at City Winery because of the book. <laughs> <laughs> right I was just like, oh, it must be some nice place in New York. Well, all part of the master plan.
1: Yes. Making love, making wine, that's what the book's
2: about, right? Oh, wow. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone not read the book yet? A couple of you. Do you mind describing the book? Where did this idea come from for you?
1: Where did it come from? So it came from a trip to Italy. So Andrew, there's Andrew, my husband. Um, So he and I went on our honeymoon in the summer of 2019. And we went to visit a lot of his family um, in Italy. And we also went to visit my Italian publisher in Milan. So we visited Christina first, my Italian publisher. And she was talking to us and talking to me. And she was like, I think you should write a book set in Italy. You love Italy. Your, your family has roots in Italy. Andrew's family is in Italy. You should write a book set in Italy. And it should be about a family. And I was like, OK, Christina, sure. I didn't think I was going to actually do it. But then we went to visit a bunch of Andrew's cousins. And one of them is a man who would have been the Count of Saluzzo and the Marquis of Rocca Baldi. And we were talking, and one of his, his cousin's younger sister said to us, "Yeah, but you know the institutional referendum of 1946, they, they sort of abolished the monarchy and the nobility. And I was like, "That's actually really interesting. <laughs> Imagine what it must have been like to be this guy and to think, this is the future I was going to have." And then all of a sudden, by popular vote, your future has changed. It's totally different. And and in addition to that, it was the first vote in Italy where women had the right to vote, which I thought was really interesting. It was after World War II, which was also interesting. And Andrew and I have always joked, because my family in Italy were shoemakers, that if he and I had met in Italy, it would have been a total scandal, because here is this person who's you know in the noble class, and then the daughter of a shoemaker, right? So all of that was kind of coming together with what Christina said. And I was like, I actually think I am going to write a book set in Italy about a family. And then sort of all the details kind of filtered in after that.
2: So exciting. So this this did not happen, the whole nothing with the families, the reunite, anything? No, no. no, That would have been exciting, but no. (laughs) I think it was really interesting how you included, as some of your main characters, elderly people because I feel like there are not a lot of books that really star older people especially older people well I don't want to give things away but with all of their feelings still intact and love and emotion and longing and all of that and I feel like it kind of fiction usually stops at a certain age so tell me what it was like writing older characters and research and all that yeah so I I love the idea that love
1: is always there no matter how old you are, you know, and that being in love doesn't stop because you hit a certain age. And I also really love the idea of a grandparent-grandchild relationship, mm-hmm. because um, I have a grandmother who I'm really close to. She just turned 91, and she, she helped me a lot with, with some of the details where I was like, how did you tie back your hair in 1946? Mm. <laughs> She's like, I think we used to rubber band, but I'm going to go ask my friends when we play cards. I was like, okay. (laughs) So I love the idea of of writing about sort of how a grandparent's life then affects their grandchildren's generation, and how in a family, sort of the history of the family becomes the present of the family, and how that changes and shifts. So, So I just thought it would be really interesting to kind of explore multi-generational sort of dual love stories and how love in your you know 30s is and isn't the same as love in your
2: 90s so that was that that sort of bit interesting my husband and I recently went to Rome and he was learning about his Italian family and then I was thinking, and like like you, our families were very different and different backgrounds and everything. And it's it's almost like with every relationship with whoever we're with, when we like get in the car together to go, we're bringing all these people from, yeah. you know, it, and there's some. It's so unlikely that any of us would ever meet, and yet yeah. people fall in love every day. And this is how it goes. I know this sounds ridiculous, but anyway,
1: no, it's incredible and it's true. Because I mean, everyone is sort of the sum of all of their experiences and all of their families. history becomes. The experiences that they've had because that's what their family have lived and it's like we're we are all kind of the sum of
2: every relationship we've ever been in yes it is amazing to think what would happen with like prince william and kate if all of a sudden tomorrow they were like it's over it's no, done. i mean i know i see what yeah. where uh it's hairy one. But anyway. Um, <laughs> moving on. When you were thinking about the backgrounds for the different characters and you chose the tailor's shop and the sewing of the buttons and making beautiful dresses and fashion and all that, and how that carried through the whole thing, through Juliana's whole life, and how she was still, you know, so mm-hmm. well dressed at the end. Tell me about that piece and did you have a lot of fun researching that?
1: I definitely had a lot of fun researching that. I feel like the most fun part about writing historical fiction is going down the sort of wormholes of research and sort of going through all of these photographs of like what were people wearing in in this part of the world at this part you know time period and and what was considered sort of really fashionable what was considered kind of outdated but people still wore it and what would you wear to this kind of event or that kind of event that would be appropriate and I got to look at old Italian fashion magazines which was very cool. I think it was called Grazia, I think. But but yeah, that that was that was really fun to research and I always have felt like fashion is is a real statement and it's the first thing that a lot of people see when they meet you, like what you're wearing and what that says about who you are, the way you chose to dress. Does why I always think uniform schools are really interesting? because it kind of takes that first impression away and, and you know, the, the way you can use clothes to sort of telegraph different things that you want people to know or to fit in in a different place in a different way. And I love the idea too that you could look at a style and you know maybe it's a really fashionable, expensive dress. And if you're talented enough, you could recreate that dress that looks similar, but it's not the same thing. So how do you feel when you're wearing something that you've tried to create to make it seem like you're different than who you actually are? So I just thought that there was a lot, sort of psychologically, that that you could do with fashion. And also it's just beautiful and fun. And there's a lot of jobs in it. So like the generations later could still be affected by fashion in a different way than actually you know, working in a shop and creating it.
2: I feel like you really showed this when Vincenzo first, uh, maybe I'm not pronouncing it right, Vincenzo? Yes, how did you're I good. It? Vincenzo. <laughs> uh, first painted Giuliana. Uh, and she wore his mom's clothing, which she snuck because she had, been, she had absconded due to the war. And she puts on this dress, and it, you said something like, he saw her in a whole new way. Like, all of a sudden, she could have been the society girl that he had been intended to marry, as opposed to the daughter of a tailor. And what just that one outfit change could right. do to the rest of their lives. Yeah, that it, it sort of made
1: him realize, she could walk into a room and look the way a person I'm with is supposed to look. Yeah. But then there's the question of like what is you know, he's I think he says to her, if I remember what I wrote, something like <laughs> something like, you know, you were born to be a countess or yes, whatever. Yes. And and then there's the question of well what does that mean?
2: Right. And like what is he actually looking for? Yeah. Or, and then it's all about family expectation and right. um, obligation versus feeling. I mean, that's another really interesting tension that you have there. What you should do and what you're supposed to do to honor your family. and then what do, But what do you really want to do? And how do you marry those two things? Yeah. And how do you, how do you find a way to not alienate your family? Yeah.
1: And also not alienate yourself, you know, make, make yourself happy.
2: I guess the question is, what are the side effects of unfulfilled love over the course of a life? Where does that longing go? Yeah, I mean, and I guess
1: in my book, it doesn't go away. <laughs> Even if you live a happy life, a fulfilling life, like there's still that unanswered question of of what if. Yeah. And there's still, you know, a piece of this person in your heart.
2: Oh. Emotional. (laughs) Okay. Tell me about your writing process for this book. So, you, and I'm also curious because with The Light We Lost, which is how I first met you, I read The Light We Lost and I was crying my eyes out. And I had just started a podcast that I do now called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And I had just been like reaching out to people for the first time, being like, I have this podcast, what do you think? Anyway, and I had not DM'd anybody on Instagram I didn't know yet. But I was sitting there in my bed sobbing, sobbing. And I don't usually cry that much with books, but it hit me so hard. I was like, I'm just going to reach out to this author who I love, I'm just going to DM her. And I wrote her this note, like, I'm sitting here crying. And she wrote me back. And I was like, oh my god! <laughs> She's like, thank you so much. And it, like, changed my life. I was like, I can't believe it. But anyway, it became a Reese's Book Club pick. It was all the rage. You've had another wonderful book come out after that, and now stars in an Italian sky. Do you feel pressure, like, living up to such a big hit? I mean, it's like not, they only, she only picks 12 a year. I, you know what It's yeah. like, I sort of have come to terms with the fact that I probably
1: won't write another book that is as embraced as The Light We Lost was right off the bat. And that in itself was kind of freeing to Mm -hmm. say like, I I did that thing and that was awesome and like so many doors got open for me and I'm so grateful for all of the love and all of the support and all of the people who DM'd me you know saying how much they enjoyed the book or you know with pictures of them with the tears coming down their, their eyes but I also know that that book was that book and that was that book's journey and that now I can't expect my other books to be that book And I can just write them the very best I can and say the things that I want to say and hope that they touch the people who need them and that people who find them find them at a time in their lives when they, you know, feel comforted or seen or just have a nice day on the beach reading a book, you know, and hope that they do good out there in the world, you
2: know, for someone. That's sort of the approach I take with my kids. they can't all be the same yes this one's going in this direction and the other one's going over there so we'll see what happens (laughs) these I mean I have a real human kid but these are my kids too you know
1: and like I truly do feel that way they're they're each written and they're each going to have their own path and all I can do is is my very best and then
2: it's up to the universe and and readers to sort of
1: see what happens with it.
2: I guess that's with any sort of art, right? All you can do is put it out there and yeah. you can't control the outcome anyway. No, I mean, not. Anyway. it's wonderful. Thank <laughs> I you. Thank it's you. Just, yes. It's great. And it will definitely hit a chord. And it was, you know, the ending here brings tears as well. I feel like I've just cried my eyes out on your... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom.
1: Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50
2: pounds.
0: With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at cerebralcom podcast and use code ACAST to get fifteen percent off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey grown ups, the Cat in
2: the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. You have a dual timeline in this book. You have the whole New York scene and a couple getting engaged and their families intersect and all of that, and you have that in the present, and then you keep going back and forth. When you do that, do you write all the back? Do you write? How do you write the two timelines, and then how do you weave them together? So for this book, I wrote
1: I wrote back and forth because I knew that I wanted things from the past to echo in the present, and from the present to sort of plant things that then you find in the past. And I knew that to do that, I needed to sort of write in the order that I wanted people to read. But then when I revised it, I pulled the two stories completely apart, and I revised each story on its own mm-hmm. to make sure that everything felt really fully realized and that I wasn't skipping over parts because I was skipping timelines or and that there was really an arc and it was really, you know, the characters had their own sort of trajectory and journey and the story itself did and you know there was a plot and all of that. And once I had revised both sections, I then wove them back together and then had to like move some things around to, to make it all fit again. Wow was this like on the floor? Are we literally like you know, I probably it probably would have been easier if I had done it on the floor <laughs> to be honest. But it was it was like in different word documents that then were coming apart and coming oh, wow. back together which yeah, probably would have been easier if I printed
2: it out. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Next time. Next, Next time. You live you learn. Well this speaks to how great an editor you are because in addition to being an author you're also an editor, you have a big full time job as well as writing, how do you marry those two things, how do you balance those and when do you write versus work and how do you even figure out when to do what and be a mom and a wife and a daughter and a sister and all of that. Let's like, have all of the advice. Give me some advice. I was going to say, I feel like I should be asking you this question. <laughs> Maybe this is too specific a question. <laughs>
1: um, you know, so this book, I started writing this book when I was pregnant with my daughter, and it was the middle of COVID, and, or the beginning of COVID, I guess. And we were all working from home and trying to figure out like what life was going to look like. And... You know, in the past, I had sort of given myself page targets to say, all right, I need to write this many pages this week and this many pages this week and whatever time I can find, if it's 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, like to write them, that's, that's what I have to do because I have to get to this page number. And I think during the pandemic, that was a lot harder because sometimes I needed to really focus on this book to just block out the world because it was much more fun to be in post-World War II Italy than it was to be here in the present. And then there were some times where I just, like, so much was going on that I couldn't I couldn't sit down and, and like, get into the world in the way that I needed to. So I just kind of wrote when I felt like I needed to write. And then once my daughter was born, I was like, all right, now I'm going to actually have to figure out, like, how I block out time to do this. So... I worked. Um, I worked with my boss, my boss at the time, to cut my hours so that I could have Fridays to write. And we had an amazing babysitter who came on Fridays, and I would just spend like that day as an author, more or less. And that was kind of how I finished the book in those like chunks of Fridays. And now I think I might be rejiggering that process and you know starting something new because I'm always writing something, but like. I think I might have to try and reframe that process again now that my daughter's a little bit older, and now that you know, my job has changed and all of that, and we're in a different time in the world. But I was saying to someone actually earlier tonight, like writing is what makes me able to do the rest of my life. Like Writing is what keeps me sort of grounded and sane. And I need to find the time to do it as like my own mental health thing. Like I'd write even if nobody was publishing what I was writing because that's just sort of how I process life. And I think I just need to always figure out exactly whether, like what that means, You know, whether it means Fridays, whether it means 20 minutes whenever I can, whether it means giving myself a page count, but just sort of really asking myself continuously, like, how are you going to fit this into your life because
2: you know you need to do it. If only I felt like that about exercise. (laughs) Same same, zitty. (laughs) Was this from when you were a little girl? Like, When did you discover that writing was the thing you had to do?
1: I I mean, I started writing stories. I would say first grade was a very prolific year for me. (laughs) Um, And I I found kids in my class who were better artists than I am. And I would give them the pages. And I would say, can you please draw the pictures for this? So, I don't know if I was that meant I was a writer or an editor, one or the other, <laughs> but you know, I think I think once though I and and I wrote I wrote short stories through high school and I wrote a bit less in college, but I was still writing and then after college was when, you know, I got a job as an editorial assistant and I was like, I think I think I have a story to tell too, and
2: I just sort of started Started writing then, and when you write for your mental health, is it fiction, or do you? It's, have, I mean, it's this. It's always like in the form of a novel. Yes, it's amazing.
1: Be- I think, I think it's easier for me to sort of look at, look at feelings and look at things if, as if they're not mine. Mm-hmm. You know, so like the light we lost, I started writing after a horrible breakup when. I wanted—I basically like wanted a friend to go through it with, and I like made Lucy. She was like my imaginary friend, so that we could be like buddies and go through this trauma together. Okay,
2: <laughs> like, right? We'll psychoanalyze me another day, I guess. No, I think that's great. I mean, there's. I mean, there are far worse outlets. Let's just leave it. Let's just say that. But I think that's wonderful. I mean, we all need to escape, whether we're creating it or we're watching TV or reading books or whatever it is. Sports. I feel like everybody needs that time off, and this is like your thing. Is yeah. reading also? I mean, I know you read for work all the time, but is do you ever just want to like not read for anything on purpose and just read something fun? Do you make time for that?
1: I do. I you know I I get a lot of um, manuscripts to blurb, so I feel a little bit guilty when I am reading things that are not manuscripts that people have asked me to read. But a lot of the manuscripts people ask me to read are pretty awesome. So that's um, so I do try and make time for that and, and totally get absorbed in, in other people's worlds. And once in a while, I will sort of hear about a book that everybody's been talking about that I'm just like, I ha- I have to read this. It sounds so good, and and all these people whose opinion I trust in books like have, have been raving about it. I have to, like, put everything aside and read this book, which I just did with tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Which is you were talking about. Amazing,
2: <laughs> amazing. I have not finished that book. Oh my gosh, it's so good. But apparently, there's a chapter that I have to get to. But that's like life changing. Yeah. Have you got? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is. Just, uh, um, I won't spoil it for you. <laughs> Okay, you said you're always writing something. So what is coming up for you after this? So it's it's new, and
1: it's, right now, it's about three sisters, and their mother has passed away, like, five years before. And as far as they knew, she had no family left, that her parents had died. They knew she had a sister. They thought her sister had died. And then they get a phone call um, from a lawyer in Italy, we're going back to Italy, I couldn't leave, um, <laughs> who says, you've inherited a house from your aunt. And they're like, no, no, we don't. we don't have an aunt. And they're like, no, no, you actually do have an aunt, and she left you this house. And then they decide they're going to go to this house that's now their house and try and figure out like the secrets that their mother sort of has buried with her.
2: Wow, well, that's a good phone call to so, get. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's where we are right now.
2: What is your favorite food? What is your favorite dish in Italy from all your travels and everything? Um, Favorite food, favorite wine.
1: I think gnocchi with pesto. Mm. Could eat that a lot. And as far as wine, Barolo, which is the wine that they're they're making, is pretty good. I think we when we went to visit Andrew's family, we went to Barolo and we saw like all of the the. vineyards that are on these hills and it was so stunning and then we had this massively massively long lunch at Osteria de Gemma which is also delicious if you ever go to that area and then after that Andrew's cousin was like now let's go for wine and you know I looked at each other we're like are we supposed to actually
2: put more food in our like anything more in our in our bodies right now but we went and we drank it and it was really good. That's amazing. I love that they have a tradition in their family down through the generations that whenever anybody gets engaged, they make a bottle of wine together. That was so awesome. Is that true? Did that happen? No, I made that up. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That (laughs) was I like it. Nice touch. (laughs) When you sit down to start a project, like when you're starting this book or this, do you do a whole outline first? Do you just dive right in? Do you know all your characters?
1: I write... I write a sort of blah, blah, blah synopsis Mm -hmm. where I sort of say, like, well, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then sort of in the end, this happens. And it's like maybe two pages long of just like me telling the story to myself. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have all of the connective tissue and it doesn't have all the details. So then when I actually start writing, I like, I know where I'm starting from, I know like some of the points I want to hit, and I know where I'm headed, but I don't fully know how I'm going to get there. So then when I start writing, I build out the characters a lot. And then for me, the characters kind of guide the plot. Because then once I know who they are and their motivations, I can figure out how they would act in a situation. And then that sort of shapes how the book unrolls.
2: So if Lucy was your buddy when you went through a breakup and you created her to sort of meet that emotional need, why do you think you created Juliana?
1: That's a good question, actually. I mean, I think there was something, there was something in writing this in the middle of the pandemic where I was thinking about how like these shifts happen on a global scale and World War II was one of them. And I think, you know, this global pandemic was another where people's perspectives change and society kind of changes. And I wanted to sort of be in the moment with someone else from the past who was going through this sort of change in the world and a shift in perspective and, and be reassured that things kind of come out OK. You know, that like disaster can happen and the world can feel like it's exploding. But in the end, things can kind of be OK. I love
2: that. That's nice. Do you believe that when we pass away, we meet up again soon? I don't know what I believe. I mean, I hope so.
1: I hope there's something. It'd be nice. It'd be nice. <laughs> Someone once said to me that, that if you think about a baby in utero, and like that's all they knew is this world inside their mother, and then they're born into this world, and if you told them, you know... A week beforehand that like there was this amazing thing after they got born, they wouldn't necessarily believe you. I mean, also they're babies, so whatever, but <laughs> and like the, the person who's talking about this was said, like, what if that's what happens after we die? Like, what if we're here and we can't even imagine that there's another place, but then we die and
2: there is? And like it's the equivalent of, of that shift. I always thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that is yeah. really interesting. Hoping there's not as much traffic. <laughs> Congestion. <laughs> Maybe it could be a different part of the world than right? midtown or something. Um, well that's lovely. Um, All
0: right.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you, Zibi, for thank doing you, this. Jill. And Thanks. thank you everyone for coming. Okay. And if if any of you would like your book autographed, I'm gonna be right over there at that table hopefully with a marker that somebody else brought because i just realized i forgot one (laughs) but i will be there uh signing books if anyone wants your book signed and feel free to continue eating drinking buying wine whatever you'd like to do (laughs) thank you
2: thanks for listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books